You know, one of the things that's important for us to be able to do is focus on how God wants to work in our lives. And we've been walking through this series on standing on the shoulders of giants. Today, we're in Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, That's on your listening guide, by the way, on the back of the bulletin, well, the scriptures that we'll be using. But if you have a Bible, uh, I'm going to ask you to pull that out because we're going to be looking at some other scriptures. Maybe the, if you don't have one, use the Pew Bible in front of you because we're just going to be looking at some other passages that go with what we're talking about this morning. But I'm really, really glad you're here. You know, as we pray for so many things that are going on around us, and as we talked about many of the activities of our church, we are praying about Vacation Bible School. It's a great opportunity for us as a church to reach our community, to care for families in our community. And if you aren't serving, we'd love to have you serve as a part of that. You can still sign up for that online at the kiosk. But we do need some other key leaders just to be a part of that because we do expect a good number of kids to be here. And hopefully you're in bringing some of those even yourself. I hope you'll do that. And as we begin our service this morning, I also want to be praying for our nation. Uh, just praying for our president, vice president, those who are leading us. These are turbulent days in our country and around the world, honestly. And we just want to pray that God would do a great work to reveal himself in a new way. I really believe it. it's going to be the church that makes the impact. And we'll talk about that a little bit in the message. But the revival in the church, the need for God's people to stand up. Uh, It's not going to be easy. It's going to be harder than probably we have thought it would be in days past, but it's time to be able to just take a stand for some things. Um, They may go different directions, but we'll, we'll talk about that as we move forward. So would you join me right now as we just pray for our nation? Father, we come today and we do pray for our country. We thank you for our nation, for those who have served in the military, who have done so much to give us the freedom that we have to come today and to proclaim the words of Jesus, proclaim the gospel. Lord, we do pray for our president, our vice president, for those who serve in all the offices of our nation. There's so many of them. And Lord, we just pray that you would give them wisdom. You would you would give them hearts of revival, hearts that are turned to you. That would be our prayer, Lord, that you would turn hearts to yourself. That, that's the only thing that's going to allow us to really have um, the revival that we need in our nation is hearts being turned to you, including us. So, Lord, I would pray for us today in, the, in this room and as a church, you would turn our hearts to you in a fresh, new way. Thank you for what you want to do in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you have your Bible, we're looking at Hebrews chapter 11, or you have your listening guide. We're talking about really about uh, one verse as we talk about worship. We're going to start by talking about faith that leads us to worship. That's where we're going to begin this morning. And then after a few minutes, we'll stop inside that and we'll have our communion time together, the Lord's Supper together, because that is an incredible act of worship. And Paul explains that and we'll look at what, how Paul explains that. And then we'll come back and look at Enoch and how we are then called to walk because of that, what our life is. So that's kind of the direction that we're heading this morning. So if you have your Bible or your listening guide, we see that in this Hebrews 11 passage, it says in verse 4, by faith Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offering. And by faith Abel still speaks even though he is dead. Now we're going to talk for a few minutes about Abel and about who he is and that whole issue of Cain and Abel. And really it's found back in Genesis chapter 4. If you have a pew Bible, that's on 
page three, so it's early in the Old Testament that we find the story of Cain and Abel. It's in Genesis chapter four. He starts off in verse one. He goes through chapter through verse 10 and gives us the background story when he talks about this faith that Abel has and why Abel's faith, as he tells us in this Hebrew passage, while Abel's, Abel's faith was a better offering than Cain's faith. And those are key words that we need to consider. Why is it a better offering? What is it about what Abel did that was better than what Cain did. So let's go back to Genesis chapter 4, if you have that in front of you, and let's read a little bit there. I'll read that. You can follow along. He says at the end of, at the middle of chapter, verse 2, now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of his soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was angry and his face was downcast. Now, why is it in that chapter four of Genesis, the first real offering that we see in the Old Testament, by the way, that whole first understanding that we're bringing before the Lord a worship time. And that's what it's about in chapter four. It's being able to worship God, being able to focus on our worship to him. And they did that in a personal way. So sometimes when we think about, oh, we're having worship, we think about what we're in right now, right? We think about, well, I'm going to church. I'm going to corporate time. We're going to sing together. We're going to just do these things together and we're going to have a message and that's worship. Yeah, the Bible doesn't teach us that. That's not what worship is. Worship is when we bring ourselves to God. It can be in a corporate setting like this, or most often for us, it's in a private setting, right? You may have family worship with your family, but most often God is calling us to our individual worship with him. Now, you may set aside a time to do that. You may have a special place to do that. Those things become secondary to the fact that God calls us, each of us, to a place of worship. That's what he wants from our lives. So, and we find that in Genesis chapter 4 as we think about standing on the shoulders of these giants in Hebrews chapter 11. It's the understanding that what brings us to worship. Now, it tells us in Genesis 4 that Cain was actually the first one to bring something to God. I think that's an interesting view there, that Cain was the one that had the heart to be able to say, Lord, I want to bring something to you. I want to give you these offerings. Now, it wasn't the fact that Cain brought grain or the offering of the ground that was the problem. You see, the Bible would go on to teach us later on for the Israelites that there were grain offerings. So grain offerings become a part of what God was expecting from the Israelites. So it wasn't the fact that he was bringing grain from the ground that was a problem. And it wasn't the fact that uh, Abel brought the blood animal, the blood sacrifice. Now that does become important. Uh, we, we understand that because see, he tells us that he brings the first fruit, the first of that, which means he's bringing the first fruit of it. And that, by the way, relates to Jesus. The G Old Testament always points to Jesus. Everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus. Here we have a great pointing to Jesus from this, this offering that Abel was bringing. And that's why we find it in Hebrews chapter 11, that he was bringing this first fruit of his offering that he was bringing to God. So if it's not the grain offering, and it's not the blood offering, which does become important later on in the covenant relationships, what was it that made the difference? Why would God say to Cain in this fourth chapter of Genesis, why would he look on his offering with disfavor? Well, we find some clue to that when it says 
in the first part of chapter, verse 3, in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil. So it appears here that Cain brought before God leftovers. He was giving God what he had left over. He had already used the first fruits. He'd already done all the things that he needed to have himself taken care of. And so now he had some left over and he brought those to God. Now that's an important thing for us to understand because when we come to God for worship, God demands, demands for us to bring as Cain, as Abel did in this, because Abel was able to bring the firstborn of his flock. So Abel came with the firstborn, Cain had come with the leftovers. So all of a sudden we define worship as an understanding. If we're going to build our lives of worship on the giants of the faith, that has to do when we're bringing to God the first fruits, not the leftovers. That's very true for our lives. It's true for everything we have. Sometimes we want to bring the leftovers. We want to do everything we want to do, live the way we want to live, act the way we want to act, totally against God's word, and bring those leftovers to God, and for some reason assume that God is going to bless our worship. Yet God doesn't bless our worship. Matter of fact, it's just the opposite. We often come before God, and God does not find favor with our worship And in our minds and hearts, that's very hard for us because we think God finds favor with everything, but we find that not to be true. God does not find favor with everything we do, especially when we bring leftover things to God, when we bring our our lives to Him that that are messed up, that are unclean, and we don't bring those lives for unrepentant hearts. We bring those lives out of selfish gain, and that really seems to be what Cain has done in this passage. He has brought before God a selfish heart. The first thing that we fill in in our listening guide is faith from a heart of surrender to Jesus as the better offering that we bring to worship. So today, and in your personal life, in your private worship, do you bring a heart of surrender? What does that look like? How do we Open our hands and hearts to God. Go back to Genesis chapter 4. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? I mean, it was a, it was a simple question. Why are you mad, Cain? What, what, why are you mad at me? You, didn't, you brought leftovers. So why? Now, did he hear what he says? How many times do we do that? God, why didn't you do this? God, why didn't you do that? Why didn't you do this? And, it, and it's out of the fact that our hearts have not been surrendered, but we expect God to respond no matter what. And God says, that's not how I work. That's not what happens in this. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? And the answer to that is, yes, you will be accepted. So God was giving Cain an opportunity to do what was right. He was giving Cain an opportunity to surrender everything he had to him. Now, the rest of that story is Cain doesn't. Matter of fact, he does just the opposite. Matter of fact, God says to him, if you don't, but if you do not do what is right, follow me there, we are in that verse where he's been talking about that in verse 6, but if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. First time in the Bible that this word sin is used like this. In the earlier chapters, we talked about evil, but sin was not used in a personal way up until God speaks to Cain and says, if you do not do what is right, sin is going to crouch at your door. The, uh, the obvious illustration there, it's like a, like a lion 
getting ready to pounce on something. It's a wild animal. Now, think about that in the New Testament, that Satan is like a roaring lion seeking to who he's going to devour, right? I mean, you see the connection? And so here in this, God is saying to, to Cain, you can have an acceptable offering, but your heart has to change. Everything has to change in the sense that you are surrendering yourselves to God. If we're going to have a revival in America, if we're going to have a revival in the church, and I use the term revival from renewal perspective, it's only going to happen when God's people surrender our hearts to him. Otherwise, God's going to look at us and just say, that's not acceptable. You're not doing the things that are acceptable. Now, you know the rest of the story. Actually, they go out. And Cain takes his brother Abel out into the field, and he murders him. The first bloodshed that we have in the Bible. Why? Why do we have that? Because here was a man who was not willing to surrender his life to a better offering. The second thing in your notes, faith is a sacrifice of Jesus Christ, is the connection between God's forgiveness and for us. So in this... In this offering, this first offering becomes the sacrifice of Jesus, right? The sacrifice of blood that's being shed in order to make the connection to God. It provides the acceptable spiritual covering that we receive from God's presence. Now, back in Hebrews chapter 4, which is our text, by faith we understand that Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks even though he is dead. Faith always speaks alive. Faith that is alive in Jesus speaks from our lives to the lives of other people. That's the, that's the principle that we find right there. When, we, when our lives are surrendered to God, when our hearts are surrendered so that the Spirit of God is upon us, it is always going to affect other people. Now, it, it may not always be good. Matter of fact, if we look over into the first, first John chapter 3, first John chapter 3 says these words, starting in verse 11, this is the message that you heard from the beginning. You should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because of his own affliction or his own attractions were evil and his brothers were righteous. If the world hates you, do not be surprised. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who's not loved remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. Now, what he has told us in this first John passage as it relates to Abel and Cain is that here Abel says, Abel's killed out in the field. Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? John says, yeah, you are. Yeah, you are to the fact that when you proclaim that your life is in Christ, one of the most important things you do in that proclamation, according to 1 John 3, is how you love the brothers. What it's like with inside the body. How you care for each other. So, let's get this into the perspective that I hope that I'm trying to paint this for us. When Cain and Abel brought this offering, both bringing their offering to God... 
Abel's offering was acceptable to God because he brought it with an open heart of surrender and attitude. It wasn't what he brought. It was how he brought it. And sometimes we need to understand that. We can give a lot. We can do a lot. But, but it's our hearts that have to be changed. It's surrender of our life that has to make the difference. And in that point, that's where we say, Lord, how do we come to you to do that? Now, we make that shift over to partaking of the Lord's Supper, right? And I'm making the shift in this way because that's a great worship experience. When we come to take communion, when we come to the Lord's table, all these things about worship become important to us. Matter of fact, if you have your Bible, you can turn to the 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians. 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians. If you have your pew Bible, that's on page 812. Paul now is talking about worship, and he makes the connection for us. He says, if we're going to worship God, if we're going to come to the table of the Lord to worship, some things have to be right. Let me just, just look at this passage, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He starts in verse 17. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that you have come together as a church. There are divisions among you, and to some extent I believe that. No doubt... There are no differences between you to show which of you have God's approval. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For as you eat, each one goes ahead without waiting for anyone else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat in and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? Now, these are pretty strong words about how we come to the Lord's Supper. What should I say then? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. Verse 23, for I received from the Lord that what was passed on to me. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this when you drink it in remembrance of me. We, we mostly can quote that. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim... Proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, he tells us in verse 27, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of Christ. Now, you're sinning against the blood of Christ when you do that. Now, that that's a huge sin. That's, that's exactly what Cain and Abel were doing. It, it says as Cain was saying, I'm going to do what I want to do and give God my leftover. And Paul is saying, when we come to the Lord's Supper table, you better not do that because that is a sin against God. Therefore, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood. A man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if you judge ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. It's a lot of scripture there. I understand that. Go back and read 1 Corinthians chapter 11. But here's what he tells us in that scripture as we deal with worship, as we deal with the faith of Abel, as we deal with an open heart of surrender to the Lord, because that's what he wants from us, he tells us clearly 
It starts with praise. It starts with understanding who God is. Second, he tells us that we are to continue with self-examination. That's what he tells us in verse 28 and 29. You better examine yourself. And in that process, he would say to us, there must be a recognition of sin. We must acknowledge our sinfulness. Not only must we acknowledge our sinfulness, the Bible will tell us we must confess our sinfulness. Not only must we acknowledge and confess our sinfulness, but the Bible would say here to us and other places, we must repent of our sinfulness. Now, repentance means not just acknowledging, not just confession, but repentance means I'm changing. I'm going to do it different. I'm not going to do the same things that I did. I, I'm, my heart of surrender to God is, is, led me, is leading me to change my actions, leading me to change my attitude, leading me to change how I, how I respond to the brothers. And that's what it tells us, right? If we have that repentance, then when he tells us in the scripture that if you have something against someone, you come and pray about it and go to them before you move forward, it would say to us that repentance is I'm willing to change. I'm willing to love people at a new level. I'm willing to love people at a, at a higher level because now I consider them greater than me. I consider another person more important than I consider myself. That's what he teaches us in the word. So confession says I examine myself, I acknowledge my sin, I confess my sin, I repent of my sin. Now, you can come in and take the Lord's Supper every week, every day, whatever you want to do. But until these things happen, until there is repentance of sin, God is not pleased with what we do in our worship. And why would God bring revival for the church if he's not pleased with how we worship him? It's a major deal. I mean, it's so important to, to the kingdom of God. It's so important to our nation. It's so important to, to people around us. They need to see believers who have hearts that are surrendered. Now, once we repent, the Bible teaches us that we accept the mercies of the Lord and his forgiveness. The mercies of God are what forgive us, right? We can find forgiveness in his mercy. That's the only place we find forgiveness. Go back to the story of Cain and Abel. So Cain kills his brother, God is going to wipe Cain away. Cain says, no, don't do that to me. God says, okay, I won't do that to you. And, and so he says, well, I'm going to put a mark on you. We have no clue what that mark is. There's no reference in the Bible of what that mark is. But it was so distinguishable that people would knew, know that the mark was on Cain. Now, was the mark on Cain because he has sinned? Well, partially. But the mark was also on Cain because of God's great mercy. So when they saw the mark on Cain's life, they recognized that God had mercy on him. That points to Jesus. When God, when you have Jesus as a mark on your life, that points to God's mercy. That's the only thing we have to point to God's mercy is the mark of Christ in our hearts. And without that, we are not pointing to God's mercy. So we learn to find forgiveness from God, forgiveness to ourselves, because oftentimes that is the most difficult, and forgiveness to others. It goes back to that first John passage. There must be forgiveness. When I come to the Lord's table... I find, I find my forgiveness from God, my forgiveness of myself, and is there someone else I must forgive? That's what he's asking us, which leads us to unity in the church. Paul started this verse in, in chapter 11 by talking about their divisions, and he helped them to move toward unity. He would say that unity in the church and it can be the local church, as it was in Corinth or Graceland, or it could be the kingdom of God. 
But to find unity in the church is when we bring ourselves to that place of God's standard, living with God's standard, not some idea that might be so around us that love wins, everybody's going to heaven, everything's great, God is wonderful, he forgives everybody, and, and sometimes you hear all that, and that's just not biblical teaching of the truth. The truth is, God says to Cain, your worship was not acceptable. It could have been, but you chose not to. And he would say that to us. Your life could be in me, but you are choosing to do evil. You're choosing to do wrong. But when we do, when we choose rightfulness, when we choose righteousness, it brings unity together. And it also, which may be the biggest one of all, it gives us hope for the future. Because look what he says at, at the end of verse 20, 26 in 1 Corinthians 11. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the gospel, the Lord's death, until he comes. You see, there's, there's an incredible future here. There's an incredible hope that we are, we, we are the kind of people that are in Christ to the fact that when we come to worship, our hearts are surrendered to him, and, and we're doing that looking forward to the hope of his coming. We sing about it, right? We can sing about it and think about it, but when it comes to living it out, it becomes more difficult for us. So, we are going to take the Lord's Supper in just a moment, with this as a backdrop. How do we surrender our hearts? How do we come to the Lord in such a way, say, Lord, I'm acknowledging, confessing, and repenting of my sin. I accept your mercies, and I'm looking forward to the hope that only you can give, not just for me, but for our nation and the people around us who need Jesus.